Sabanya. Stop. Drop. Shut them down. Open up shop. I don't know where the canals are gonna go because the volcano blows. Welcome to episode 26 of the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 in under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little-known facts about every American president. <laughs> Season 2 is sponsored by Greek's Pizzeria. Place your order today at where, Blaine? Greekspizzeria.com. That's right. Say it one more time for the good people out there. Greekspizzeria.com. It's our taste. I'm your host, Ryan Allward, joined by Blaine and our producer and vice presidential expert, Russ Slivka. Gentlemen, how we doing? And we have a special guest, too. Blaine, do you want to introduce her? Yes, our special guest is going to introduce the booze for the night. Uh, it is my wife, Virginia Zimmerman. Hey there, hi there, ho there. How are you? <laughs> We're so glad you're here, Jimmy. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yes. Um, Blaine brought up this recipe to me earlier today, and then I immediately changed it. So hopefully it is still mostly good. I haven't even taken a sip. What what, what is in here? So it is a mint julep. I am mm. have like one fancy metal two ounce, not quite shot glass, not quite jigger. It's actually just condiment holder for the kids. It's like we put ketchup in it and only me because I'm fancy and I like more dishes. Fancy like Applebee. <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I hate you. Got some ketchup you. in a jigger. No! no. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so you take um, fresh mint, hmm. and I don't have a muddler, so I just used uh, the handle of a wooden spoon, because that works that also. That fine. MacGyver th- some things. Yeah. Muddle your mint, and then I made some simple syrup. It's a, <laughs> I mean, you do that for a lot of like bar drinks, like yeah. mojitos. Like, hmm. Talk to any bartender, and they're like, mojitos well, we are, are special, because yeah. the mint's about to go bad, or like... Everyone yeah. hates you and wants you to spend 10 minutes making one drink. Mm. Good point. <laughs> yeah. So you really felt about yeah. bartending. No, I love bartending. <laughs> um, and then throw some ice on top of it because if you put your liquor in first and mm. then your ice, it just doesn't, I don't know. Okay. I don't know science, but it just doesn't work as well. I'm sure there's some like super fancy mixologist that's like, oh, this is why. I'm like oh. They're pulling their hair. It's almost like you've been on our show before. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's in their car yelling yeah. at you right yeah, now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And then I just gave you a generous two ounce pour of bourbon. What type of bourbon is uh, it? Bullet, right? Bullet, bullet yeah. Leftover from, leftover from the last week. The McKinley episode. There you go. Yeah. So let's Ginny. try it. Cheers. Cheers to you. Cheers. Cheers. Gents. There we go, Russ. I've Boy. never had a mint julep before. Neither have I. I have a feeling you'll Nor hate it because you don't like mint. I like I it. Got, I got a leaf on that one. That's mm. smooth. Yeah, it, it doesn't smooth. even taste like mint. It's very, yeah. Wow. Okay. You can uh, muddle the mint and then strain it out, but then that's mm. like another step. It's Sometimes it's good to leave it in there. This episode about Theodore Roosevelt is going to be called The Dude. Oh, I like that Ooh. a lot. Yeah. The Dude was one of his nicknames. That's cool. Um, hmm. Very cool. Very uh, kind of an homage to my favorite movie, The Big Lebowski. Okay. And he was a fan of mint juleps. He was not a heavy drinker, but he used mint juleps to entice his tennis cabinet to come over to play tennis at the White House, which is something we'll talk about because he Mm. installed a tennis court. He did. Right outside of his office. And what is now... Oh, I'll save it for a little bit. Yeah, just save it. So the book we read for this episode is called Power and Responsibility, The Life and Times of Theodore Roosevelt. It was written by William H. Harbaugh. To my knowledge, no relation to the coaches. Okay. It was written in 1961, and it comes in at 493 pages. Jenny, would you like to guess now 25 presidents in 
how many pages your husband and I have read. Okay, so you can do the math for me. But 25 presidents, you're averaging what, like 400 up to 1,000 pages-ish? Oh, closest we got was like 900-something with uh, yeah. Chernow. With so Grant, we'll do an Grant. average of 700. Okay. So what's 25 Close. times 700? Yeah, well, let me just find out here. On average, <laughs> we're averaging 440 pages per book okay, on average, so or per POTUS. Yeah. So 11,000 11, and seven. So is there, oh, I was going to say, so is there like, uh, I'm sure there's a world record for fastest reader. That's, uh, oh, that's oh, definitely, ha- definitely already happened. Yeah. So you guys are it's not. It's not us. No, not us at all. It's the Micro Machines guy, right? Micro Machines? That no. might be the world's fastest talker. Talker. I, he is he was the, the world's fastest well? talker, but not reader. Because the reader, might... have you ever seen those people? The speed readers? They like. Yeah, they're freaks. Yeah. 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 Well, we also enjoy drink. We've talked about the mint julep and why we did it. And uh, cheers. Cheers yeah, to you, Jimmy. Absolutely. Cheers. Bully. Thank you. Bully to all Bully. of you. Bully. Bully. Cheers to all of you. This is the second cheers of the night. We're like yeah. five minutes in. Mm-hmm. And Jenny will be staying with us this episode. Jenny. Feel free to chime in yes. whenever you have a thought. Ooh, I got them, uh, the good mint on that on that yeah. sweet. Special thanks also to our mystery alcohol sponsor out there, who we love. Thank you for your support. Okay, what do we remember about Teddy Roosevelt from social studies? Night at the museum. He was yeah. in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Portrayed by Robin Williams. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. and peace. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Russ, what about you? Panama Canal. Okay. Oh, I've got some stuff on the Panama Canal. Well, I'm sure you, you do. So this one's tough for me because I'm a big Theodore Roosevelt fan. Yeah. So it's hard to remember what I remember from social studies because okay. I know more about him than probably any other president we've read. Okay. But I would say Faces on a Rock. Yeah. Saved football. I do remember that from yeah. social studies, and we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Man, uh, Rough Riders, yeah. uh, Cuba, and the Navy. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Well, from- and then obviously conservation. Yep. We're going to get to that too. And I didn't, I, I learned a lot about Alice in this one. But for me in high school, it was mostly Spanish American War, Mount Rushmore. That's about it. Okay. Yeah. Rough Rider, that kind of thing. Yeah, was it like R-U-F-F Rider? That's exactly like how they spelled it. Like R-Y-D-R with a Z maybe? Because it was the early 90s, right? Rough Riders. Yeah. Stop. Drop. Shut, shut them down. Open, open up shop. shop. Yeah. That was Teddy Roosevelt. He wrote that song. <laughs> that, was, that was the first Zimmerman duet I've ever witnessed. It's beautiful. That was yeah. beautiful. No oh, man. All right, let's dive into his early life. Here we go. Theodore Roosevelt, born on October 27th, 1858, in New York City to wealthy merchant Theodore Roosevelt Sr. and his mother, Martha or Mitty Bullock. I think I'm saying that right. B U L L O C H. A southerner from Georgia. Bullock. Yeah, yeah. Bullock. Yeah. A southerner from Georgia who is sympathetic to the Confederate cause. <sighs> he grew up with two sisters and a brother. He was very sickly with asthma and other illnesses as a child. His wealthy family traveled to Europe and Egypt in his youth, and he received his earliest education from his aunt, along with a series of other tutors. On April 25th, 1865. Does that date or April 1865 ring a bell for you guys? It should. Appomattox Courthouse. Okay, around there. Yep. What other, What else happened? Uh, Good Friday, 1865? No, I think, I think Good Friday was considerably before 1865. Theater, D.C. Oh, okay. So I was, yeah, so yeah. a couple weeks later, President Lincoln's funeral procession passed the mm-hmm. home of Teddy Roosevelt's grandfather, Cornelius Van Schack Roosevelt, in New York City. Six-year-old Teddy and his brother watched from an open second-floor window as the procession went up Broadway in front of the house. And there's actually a photograph of the event in the New York Public Library 
So that's kind of cool. Did he salute him? Like I bet he did. JFK Jr.? Oh. Was he in like a naval costume? Yeah, he wasn't wearing long pants. He was um, just shorts. So he actually, as a child, yeah. did not like the book Swiss Family Robinson because he thought the collection of animals they had was unrealistic. Oh. He was a huge animal <laughs> lover. Yeah. But Swiss Family Robinson was where he drew the line. He was like, it's too many animals. Like, for a dude who owned, you know, snakes and oh, yeah. all sorts of stuff. Dear um, Mr. Caruso, I yeah. hate your story. Yeah. Sincerely, six-year-old Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> he also didn't like the nickname Teddy. No, I learned he didn't. That. Yeah, he did yeah. not like that. He, he preferred to go by either later in life the Colonel or uh-huh. TR. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he minded. He didn't. Yeah, that was. I. I actually, because I know he didn't like Teddy, I try to not call him that. Mm. Let's and refer to him as so TR. So he doesn't haunt you. Well, just respect. <laughs> well, and then we. Well, last year when we went on vacation, we listened to this like kids podcast about Teddy Roosevelt. Oh. Well, I did it. For our children in the van as we were driving down, and in I was, the, the joke, like the running <laughs> joke, was too. every time like the narrator would say Teddy, yeah. somebody would be like Theodore. Ah, yeah. so yeah. I thought about doing that here, but that's just respect theft. the name. Yeah. What about Theo? Yeah, I've always loved that name. Gotta eat the pudding. <laughs> so he began attending Harvard in the fall of 1876 and met his Big first wife. Yeah, Alice, Alice Lee there. After a courtship, the two got engaged with an eye on marriage after graduation. He could be extremely jealous if any other man dared approach her. He even uh, challenged people to a duel. Uh, at one point, he even mailed away for a pair of French dueling pistols in case anyone wished to take <laughs> like, him up on the offer. Mail order dueling pistols. <laughs> he won election while at Harvard into the Hasty Pudding Club. Hasty? The Hasty yeah. Pudding Club. Uh, and it was a social club. Uh, he was the secretary during his senior year. So when year. you put pudding together without planning it. Yeah, just really fast. Yeah, Roosevelt was one of five presidents to have been a club member, the others being John Adams, John Quincy Adams, Franklin Roosevelt, his distant cousin, and JFK. So the club was formed in 1795 on campus, quote, to cherish the feelings of friendship and patriotism. Overpudding. Yeah. Hey, do you have more of that pudding? Yeah. Mm. Please, have you ever craft- made like homemade homemade pudding? I like not, not from the packet? I don't think so. I don't even it know what pudding was. What's in it? So... I, I know there's like a little bit of flour. Okay, I don't really remember. But I remember <laughs> that your, like whatever that graham cracker pudding recipe yeah. is that your uh, great-grandmother used to make, she gave me the recipe and I made it one time and I was like, what is this stuff? Is mm. this custard? What is this? She's like, oh, that's the pudding. And I was like, this takes forever. Yeah. Don't you have to skim like gross stuff off the top? If so. you like a do, that recipe also has that. really interesting stuff in it. Like it's like butter the size of the walnut. Mm-hmm. A dollop of this, a dash mm-hmm. of that. Like, it's not a, a yeah, it's yeah. not. But, well, I mean, that raises questions, right? Is it the walnut as it falls off the tree? Is or it is it the walnut? nut itself? Yeah. 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 Those walnuts can get really big. Yeah, we have a walnut tree. Yeah, yeah. My neighbor has one, too. Yeah. <sighs> Well, so TR did okay academically at Harvard. At the time of his graduation, he was 21st out of 161 students, so pretty good. Upon graduation, he went to Columbia Law School, stayed there for one year before dropping out to begin his political life. He was very anti-socialist throughout his career, but it started at Harvard, and there are very few things I have a problem with Theodore Roosevelt about, but this is one of them because there's a, and I warned you this was coming, it's easy to throw this blanket of socialism over things. Yeah. Like, there's a difference between actual socialism and, like, things that help the working person, right? Can we all agree on that? Yeah. Okay. So he railed against the work maximum hour being reduced from 14 to 12 as a socialist policy. Hmm. 
and I mean now like the average work is day, working day is like eight, right? Like the expectation of 14 hours a day is wild. Yeah, especially if you're eight years old. Taking it down to, yeah, yeah. Taking it down to 12 is not yeah. socialism. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry, you can be anti-socialist, but also be on board that like maybe people eight-year-olds in a coal mine yeah. shouldn't work 14 hours a yeah. day like those are two separate things yeah. so let's not throw this big blanket on everything 12 totally acceptable 14 <laughs> that's just out of line around this time roosevelt took time from his european honeymoon with his new wife alice to scale the fifteen thousand foot matterhorn in the swiss alps with two guides wow kind of cool yeah. like it's very teddy roosevelt of him why do i know the name matterhorn Wait, well, so ride. did his then bride ride do it with did, him? I'm sorry, what? Did she do the climb the Matterhorn too? I don't know. I don't know if Alice scaled it as well. She probably wasn't allowed, yeah. Probably, oh, well, wasn't like, allowed? No, I'm saying like he probably was like, you just stay back here. Yeah. Get <laughs> back your, in the kitchen, keep Alice. Keep the fire. Keep the fire. <laughs> I like your TR accent. You keep that coming, Jim. Bully. Know, super smart. Bully. Mm. So yeah, already he's a mountain climber and doing Teddy Roosevelt things. Yeah, like he he had like a full on gym yeah. growing up because he thought the best way to combat his asthma was to just work out. Yeah. Yeah. 1882, uh, he becomes the youngest member of the New York State Assembly. Two years later on Valentine's Day, his mom passes away from typhoid fever. One floor above in the same house, Alice dies less than 12 hours later from Bright's disease and complications from giving birth to the couple's first child, a daughter also named Alice, just two days prior. He wrote in his diary that night after losing both his mother and his wife in the same day, quote, the light has gone out of my life, end quote. Yeah, I, I actually think his mom died of Bright's disease as well. I think they both did. I don't think his mom died of typhoid. Okay, regardless. Yeah. They both died on the same day. Horrible. Yeah, real, yeah. like so hours apart. Now he's a single dad. That same year, he moved to the Dakota Territory and worked as a cattle rancher. Yeah, he was at the Badlands. Yeah. He was at the Badlands in, what is that, South Dakota? Uh-huh. And was like straight up man amongst men. One of the things that I actually thought about doing for a drink tonight was hard root beer. Mm. Because he was like a straight up cowboy. Yeah. Like, and he really relished that, that cowboy moniker. But Russ hates root beer. So we went with mint julep. So two years after Alice's death, TR married his second wife, Edith Caro, in London on December 2nd, 1886. He was 28. She was 25. After their honeymoon, the couple lived at Sagamore Hill on Long Island, New York, Long Island. He and Edith would go on to have five more children, Theodore, Kermit, Ethel, Archibald, and Quinton. Kermit. Man, aren't those good names? Yeah, they are. Yeah. He so he was actually his political hero Were they? <laughs> was Alexander Hamilton. And he was a, Drink. V- a very Drink. what verbose? Right? What what what's the word for somebody that writes a lot? Uh is it prolific? Prolific, prolific yes. Writer. He yeah, wrote yeah. tons of books. He wrote biographies as a, an assemblyman. Uh, on Thomas Hart Benton and Governor Morris. Oh, okay, that's cool. He yeah. wrote, uh, like, I think his sixth or seventh book with this book called The Strenuous Life about how to raise your boys oh, cool. um, and keep them active and things like that. He wrote an autobiography later in life as well. Sure did. Yeah. He wrote, I think, 13 or 14 books overall. And I think a lot of his income came from royalties as opposed to a presidential salary. Like I think he, a lot of his income came yeah. from his dad. 
Oh yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> What's your dad do? Yeah, he's a wealthy uh, merchant. He was he was a big fan yeah. of his own dad, but that's I think most of his money came from being yeah. rich yeah. when he was born. From 1889 through 95, Roosevelt was a U.S. Civil Service Commissioner. He was president of the New York City Police Board from 1895 through 97, and he attempted to reform one of the country's most corrupt police departments. He regularly took midnight strolls to make sure officers were walking their beats, and his decision to enforce an unpopular law that banned the sale of alcohol in saloons on Sundays made him a very unpopular figure in New York, but he persisted in the crusade even after receiving two letter bombs in the mail. Yeah, because yeah. this arbitrary day shouldn't have alcohol. That right. doesn't make any sense. He did start a bicycle police force in New York City. It's pretty cool. And there's still bike cops to this day in, in Correct. maybe your community. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was the Just first one, but he started the one in New York. Riding around with their bike helmets oh, and yeah. like, hey, it was like stop. Mormons and bike cops. <laughs> what, what is a letter bomb back then? How does that work? That's it's a, a bomb that you put in a letter. Russ. But how yeah. does that like get yeah. set off? I don't know. Probably the same way it does now. How does it happen now? they have a series it's it's almost like a watch right so they have a series of like gears and things and when you Mm. open a certain part of it that gear turns and it ignites like depending on if it's c4 or whatever ignites whatever the the primer is and the primer sets the bomb off and most of the time they would put like like either ball bearings or nails or things like that in it so when it exploded it caused some damage everything's ball bearings nowadays Mm. yeah you got to think, though, like in, in late 1800s, though, you're right, Russ, with with just the mail system back then. Like, yeah. how many fingers did a letter bomb guy or yeah. gal lose trying to send one to TR? Well, once again, probably the similar amount to fingers lost now. Yeah. Because, like, it's a trial and error method. <laughs> <laughs> he then served as assistant secretary of the Navy under President McKinley from 1897 the through The assistant to the regional manager. Regional manager. Do you have anything else in his service in New York or as Assistant Secretary of the Navy, Blaine? He really hated Tammany Hall. He was successful in spite of them. He went after them quite hard. At that point, they were kind of on the, the downslope yeah. anyway. So, But yeah, he was not a fan of corruption. Explain to the people who may just be joining TR's episode, because he is a very popular president, what Tammany Hall is. So Tammany Hall was like the political force in New York, and because of that, was one of the political forces in the United States. So they were very big in civil service. They would basically put the people that they wanted into specific roles, which is why we had civil service reform under Chester Arthur. Mm-hmm. Because like even when they passed, like you have to pass this civil service test, what they would do is everybody got the same test. And so they would just give out the answers because like, hey, we want you to have this job. Here's the answers to the test. So they changed that. They changed. They pretty much like ran everything as far as politics goes. And they got to decide who would be in charge. Okay. All right, so TR resigns uh, from uh, Assistant Secretary of the Navy to join the U.S. Volunteer Cavalry Regiment, which became known as the Rough Riders to fight in the Spanish-American War that had broken out. He served from May through September of 1898 and quickly rose in the ranks to colonel. On July 1st, he and the Rough Riders had a major victory at San Juan, charging up Kettle Hill. He was part of the occupying force of Santiago. He recruited his own battalion. In doing so, he specifically asked for college athletes. He saw the value in like athletics and was a big proponent of college athletics. Mm. And when he was recruiting for his battalion, he specifically asked for college athletes. To, so there were multiple college athletes that were part of the Rough Riders and yeah. part of the charge of San Juan Hill. 
from a military perspective, have you studied that charge? Do you know much about it? Just nope. that it happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. On horses. Yeah. Yeah. Strategic point, high ground. I mean, it was audacious. Yeah. He actually did it without orders. Oh. Uh, so he just, he realized he saw the opportunity and took the opportunity w- without being told to do so. He was not going to miss his shot. Yeah. There Cheers. we go. Strength. And this mint julep is delightful. Is it? Mm-hmm. It really like turned the tide of the war yeah. and his political yeah. career. However, once he got back home, he started basically straight up campaigning yeah. to get his own Medal of Honor. Uh, uh, that's which not is how that works. Yeah, it's no, <laughs> a not bad look. Yeah, uh, I mean, like I get it. Everybody likes chess candy, but chess like maybe candy. don't. I've never mm. heard that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's a, that's a phrase chess, we use. Like, chess candy. Get a little bit of chess candy yeah. for your dress oh. uniform. Oh. However, his son did receive a Medal of Honor. Yeah. for Normandy. Yeah, Brigadier General Theodore Roosevelt. He was the only general on D-Day to land by sea with the first wave of troops. TR is the only president, this is a little-known fact, maybe it's not to you, uh, ever to have received the Medal of Honor. He was posthumously awarded it by President Clinton 103 years after... So all that campaigning finally paid off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the only other father and son to receive Medals of Honor were General Douglas MacArthur and his father, General <sighs> Arthur MacArthur. Yeah. Well, remember Arthur MacArthur was uh, Civil War. Civil War. He carried the flag. Chickamauga. Carried the flag up to the top of the hill at Chickamauga. Yeah. Yeah. Was that Chickamauga? And then then Douglas, you know, went and stuck his foot in his mouth multiple times and got fired by uh, not Eisenhower Truman. Yeah. Yeah. Bill was like, but Theodore was great, man. Yeah. Uh, This is a long overdue Medal of Honor for Theodore Roosevelt. (laughs) (laughs) He does always say that. I did not. Waking up. Deny the Medal of Honor from that man. <laughs> That's a decent Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> so he is, uh, he's elected governor of New York and serves two years from 1898 to the turn of the century. He then served as vice president under McKinley for a brief six months from March through September of 1901. Of course, we all know what happened to McKinley. If you don't go back an episode, you can listen to that at the hands of what was his name? Leon Shoulders. 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 Yeah. He hosted a Rough Riders reunion in 1899. Oh, the Triple R? In Las Vegas. Yeah, he did. A very young Las Vegas. So fun. uh, Which really, I I saw someone comment today, if you would have heard of Las Vegas in some sort of like fantasy novel, like middle of completely uninhabited desert, there is this like city of sin with all of the glitz and glamour that you want and they do everything they can to keep you there you'd be like this is unrealistic yeah yeah like <laughs> it means the meadows in spanish so yeah no, yeah the meadows flatland a lot of brush yeah casinos uh-huh. frank sinatra's out there oh yeah. wow pumping Davis in the Jr. oxygen just little babies just little baby frank sinatra <laughs> A lot, of, a lot of Elvis. Yeah. Well, he takes the oath of office in Buffalo, actually, on September 14th. He was actually on vacation yeah. when McKinley was shot. Yep. And he had to, he was at the top of Mount Marcy in the Adirondacks Sounds and had right. to climb down the mountain because mm. he was on like a mountain climbing adventure. Just constantly. Like, I guess I'm president peace. now. Yeah. I think the country was without an official leader for like 12 hours while he was getting back to Buffalo. Yeah, because it's not like they could just call him. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so he takes the oath of office September 14th, 1901. He did not swear an oath on the Bible. 
The event took place in the library of his friend Ansley Wilcox's house in Buffalo. Whatever the reason, by the time Roosevelt arrived at her house, everyone was anxious that the inauguration take place as quickly as possible. There wasn't a Bible that they could find, so he just took the oath. At the age of 42, he was and remains to date the youngest president in the country's history. So JFK was 43, one year older when he was sworn in. But JFK was the youngest elected and good. Theodore was the youngest. That's a, that's a good distinction yeah. to make, yes. In 1902, at the invitation of Mississippi Governor Andrew H. Longino, President Roosevelt went on a hunting trip. After three days of hunting, Roosevelt had still not spotted a bear. Well, the hunt guides tracked down a black bear, an old black bear, tied it to a tree for the president. Hey, why don't you come and shoot this thing? After looking at it, Roosevelt thought it would be unsportsmanlike to yeah. shoot. Yeah, that's um, cheating. Yes, and there was a political cartoonist who had heard about the event, drew a cartoon depicting Roosevelt refusing to shoot the bear, and it ran in the Washington Post. And basically, Why do you this, look confused, Russ? You don't because know he still this killed the bear, right? Uh, I don't think he did. He, he did. No, he did. did. He, they did. let it go, and he oh, And then it. he went ah. after yeah. He's like Because they had sick the dogs on it while it was mm. tied up, so it was in a pretty bad state, and he was like, we got to kill it. Yeah. yeah. I'm just not going to kill it while it's tied to a tree. Hopped in a helicopter and took it down that way. But the moral of the story is teddy bears, right? Yeah. yeah. So there was a Russian immigrant named Morris Mictum uh, who asked for the president's permission, and he also owned a candy shop in Brooklyn. And uh, he put in his shop window two stuffed toy bears that his wife had made, and he called them Teddy's Bear. And so the toy was a hit, and the rest is history. So I was telling uh, my daughter, who's in first grade, she's seven, today, uh, I'm like, hey, I got to go re- record the podcast. She goes, oh, what president are you talking about today? I go, Teddy Roosevelt. She goes, ah, Teddy, <laughs> like the bear. And I'm like, we're actually talking about that. So that was kind of fun. Shout out to Olivia. I know you're listening to this, baby girl. What's up? <laughs> I don't know. Do your what. kids listen? No, no, no. They don't listen at all. Oh, no. mine do. They do? Well, My yeah, kids you... are like super into it. Yeah. It's weird. No. My kids don't. I just make them listen to the music that I create. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm like, what do you guys want to listen to? Me again? Cool. <laughs> 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 Got to get those Spotify tracks down. Yeah, baby. Uh, I need my seven cents. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that is very generous. <laughs> As president, uh, he reserved 200 million acres of land for national forests and wildlife refuges. Previous presidents combined had only done a fifth of what TR did for conservation. I would On say the they did the less month? than a fifth. I would say they did the opposite of yeah. a fifth of yeah. that. They were like, no, tear it down. <laughs> yeah, burn it. Yeah. Uh, on March, Kill him. Andrew Jackson's just like, yeah. can I burn all this down? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on March 14th, 1903, Roosevelt created the National Wildlife Refuge System, starting with Pelican Island on the Atlantic coast of Florida. Apparently, like back in the day, like fashion trends for women, like involved feathers from birds that became rare due to hunting. Mm. And people were like, we got to keep these birds. And he was like, sounds good. Let's use my uh, basically presidential authority to protect this one island. He then went on to create 50 more federal bird reserves and four national game preserves. Building on that foundation, the National Wildlife Refuge System today spans 95 million acres, including 567 national wildlife refuges and 38 wetlands districts that are protected. So Hmm. shout out to TR, man. She (laughs) really... Was against big business, oddly, even though he did the whole thing with the hours thing. Yeah. So the very first thing he did in office was to enact the Sherman antitrust law to Uh, break up big business power. So he was anti-monopoly. Trust buster. Um, He was a trust buster. Yeah. Maybe the Um, first. Yeah. Not to be confused with the Gus Buster. Gus Buster. I knew that was coming. Yeah. Shout Um, out to Gus. I know you're listening to this little man. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) 
he also so and I don't remember the year, but it's got to be around the time you're talking about. Yeah. We were supposed to build an intercontinental canal in Nicaragua. Yes, that's right. However, a lot of that was because of corrupt politicians that had some money in their pockets coming from interests guided towards Nicaragua. Okay. He didn't really have an interest one way or the other. And then a volcano erupted in Nicaragua. What? Which made it basically impossible to put a canal there because, like, volcanoes are going to be erupting. And Teddy was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where the canals are going to go because the volcano blows. I'm so proud of you. How long ago did you come up with yeah, that? Was it is in my notes. It says Jimmy Buffett Volcano in all caps. And when I was reading my notes today, I got really excited that previous me like thought of that joke. Yeah. Theodore decided oh, to put it in Panama. Yeah. And that is how we have the Panama Canal today, which as we talked about last episode, Russ has seen. I have seen it. Yeah. Yeah, from a, a bus. From a bus. No, I got out of the bus and oh, walked good. into right. the Panama Canal building and yeah. then out There's onto a building? the terrace. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. You rode that bus all the way from Indiana down to Panama, didn't you? <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> Russ was a drug mule in another life. Was, um, whatever you want to call it. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, so in 1906, this whole project is in full swing. Of course, he inherited it a lot from McKinley. He did a 17-day trip to Panama and Puerto Rico, becoming the first president to travel outside the United States while holding office. Uh, this trip was a morale booster, and the press loved it. And apparently, the workers let him operate a steam shovel, which I'm sure he just I'm sure loved. he loved. Like yeah. if you're Teddy Roosevelt, what is a like, steam shovel? Is that like an early backhoe? Yeah, probably something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so more than any other presidents before him, he knew how to get the press and public opinion on his side. He created a press room at the White House, and he invited correspondents for informal chats while he got a shave. Uh, he no. was He was also prone to publicity stunts, like once he rode 98 miles on horseback. He also field tested a new submarine by diving to the bottom of Long Island Sound. So, like, he was constantly doing stuff that the press was just, like, mm-hmm. enamored by. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the public, of course, was just enamored by him as well. Russ, uh, could you describe the picture of the steam shovel, please, that you just pulled out? It, it yeah. It looks like a bigger backhoe. It looks like a backhoe, but with a barn instead of a, okay, you know, yeah. uh, compartment. Okay. It's a smaller compartment. Yeah, I yeah. gotcha. After finishing McKinley's term, he ran for president and won easily in 1904, uh, defeating his Democrat opponent, Alton B. Parker, with 336 electoral votes out of 476. This was interesting. In 1904 through 05, uh, there was a war between Russia and Japan, uh, known as the Russo-Japanese War, and he was the mediator of peace between the two countries at a summit in New Hampshire. Due to this, he won the 1906 Nobel Peace Prize, becoming the first of four presidents to date to win the award, the others being Woodrow Wilson, Jimmy Carter, and Barack Obama. Al Gore is the only vice president to date to win the award. For the internet? Uh, I think it was more about his uh, the, the climate change conversation. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. So before that, there were a couple of things. Uh-huh. He was a really big champion of the idea of simplified spelling. So Ooh. drop the U in honor. The oh, British yeah, honor. Well, that's just um, yeah. <laughs> what was it you spelled? You spelled favorite, favorite wrong. Favorite um, neighbor. He dropped to D R O P T. Fulfill F U L F I L. Ultimately, it was shot down, but he continued to spell things however he wanted. Yeah, yeah. He wanted to pass legislation. Which is on hold on. Interesting for someone who's got two D's in his nickname and two O's 
in his last name. Probably not when he spelled it. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very 1984, right? It is. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Double plus good. Yeah. yeah. He wanted to pass legislation on food quality and inspection. Yes. And then The Jungle by Upton Sinclair Upton came Sinclair, out. Yeah. And that basically brought tons of light to the issue. The person that wrote the bill, a gentleman by the name of Albert Beveridge, Oh, fun name. From Indiana yeah. uh, to improve inspections and quality. However, I thought that it was odd that a man named Beveridge wrote a bill for food. Yeah, oh, that's fun. Like, there's yeah. irony in that, right? The Jungle yeah. was all about meat packing and processing mm-hmm. in, like, the stockyards of Chicago. Um, I have not it's read it. Has any? Have you guys read it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. I think this is a good time to take a break, <laughs> yeah. and then we'll come back and let Russ shine. Just all right. I cannot wait. You're listening to episode 26, the dude of the Presequential Podcast. We'll be right back. Blaine, you look different. Did you get a haircut? Oh, I did. Thanks for asking. Oh, it looks nice. People have been noticing more often since I've started going to Chop Chop Barbershop. Say that one more time. Uh, people have noticed more often since I've been going to Chop Chop Barbershop. Chop Chop. Yeah. It's this super cool, very clean spot over by 16th and College area. Oh, yeah. 16th and Yandis, if you will. Okay, I will here uh, in Indy. Yeah, it's super cool building, old school style barbershop. Anthony always fades me up well. He leads this diverse team of three other barbers. All three of my kids get their haircuts there. Even my wife gets her haircut. Oh, they there. do ladies' cuts yeah, too. From, you know, fades to braids and everything in between. I love that. And if I wanted more info, where could I go? I would check out personally chopchopbarbers.com. Okay, chopchopbarbers.com. From fades to braids to kitty cuts to the coolest barbershop there is. I don't want to look bad. So, so I'm going to go to Chop Chop Barbershop. Barber yeah. yeah. Doop, doop. Yeah. Welcome back, friends. Hey, by the way, if you want to get these episodes early and ad-free, join our Patreon community for only 5 bucks a month at patreon.com slash presequential. For 10 bucks a month, you can also get our exclusive bonus episodes on other influential Americans sent to you by email every time they come out. So go to patreon.com slash presequential and join the growing community. Blaine, you had something about the Olympics you wanted to share. Yeah, so 1904 Olympics. Probably the craziest Olympics that have ever happened. We're just going to touch on this real quick. There's a really good dollop episode about the 1904 Olympics, so I don't want to like, I'm not going to be able to do it better than them. Chicago was supposed to have the Olympics and then St. Louis got like a World's Fair and they decided they shouldn't do both in one year. So they would just move the Olympics to St. Louis. We completely stacked the deck. Theodore couldn't go, so he sent Alice in his stead. His daughter. His daughter, Alice, who was a like relatively, by all accounts, like wild person. She was just crazy, right? Well, no, I think that's harsh. Like a I floozy? Think, no, 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 okay. no, no. That's, no, I think, like... Without abandon. Like at, at the time, it was seen as, like, uncouth, but, like, uh, in today's standards, like, she was just being a normal human being. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but like back then, they were like, she's riding in a car with a man. Gotcha. Like she has a snake. Oh. Yeah, it's like people were ridiculous. Did she's a um, feminist. She was a feminist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, did she wear trousers? Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Forbid. Yeah, she did. She smoked. <gasps> so 1904 Olympics, they had an entire like village on display like a zoo of like indigenous people. Ooh. And there was like a whole like setup of what was it? Pygmy? People, yeah. yeah. So, like, you'd come through and be like, "See how the pygmies live," but it was like a zoo, and it was like real human people. It's very like Ripley's Believe It or Not. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. We made all of these crazy. One of the events was called fancy diving. 
fancy knife and for peas and like pig meat. And basically, the only if I remember correctly, like the only countries that participated were like us in Germany, and the judging was like whatever, and like only like two people actually like dove in. Like some people were like landing on their backs, and they were deep. Was this water? What what did they do? Well, I don't know, man. I like the pool. It was 1904. How okay, deep was yeah. water in 1904? Right. <laughs> there ended up being like some sort of like judge issue with the diving because some of the judges were judging like the finishing. Some of them were judging how crazy like the flips were. Oh. And they ended up like having like a tie for third and the huh. German delegation like protested. It was crazy. Huh. And then the marathon in 1904, the streets were, were dirt and they didn't stop traffic. So multiple people had to drop out of the marathon because they were just sucking in dust (laughs) and like a few people were like coughing up blood Mm. there was this guy that from cuba that had like made it on on his way to st louis like made it all the way to baton rouge and then like lost a bunch all of his money gambling got super drunk and then ended up like getting some dude to give him a ride to st louis made it like halfway through the marathon and then stopped in like an apple orchard and ate like a bad apple took a nap because, the story is wild. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dude, the 1904 Olympics are the craziest <laughs> thing on the planet. Took a nap, and when he woke up, just decided to keep running and ended up getting third because so many people like dropped out and stuff. Wow. Like this is also a time when they were studying the effects of forced dehydration because they thought it was beneficial. So there were no water stops on the marathon. Oh wow. Gosh. These people are running. It was like 100 degrees that day. No water stops. Some of the people are running in like trousers and dress shoes. Wow. The guy that ended up winning was like carried across the finish line. Because at one point, the guy that everybody thought won had like jumped on a train and took the train (laughs) to the stadium and then jumped out and ran in and the crowd cheered for him. Finished that in 17 minutes. Can you win if you're carried across the finish line? Well, that's one of the like things because like the guy that's known to have won, like they had uh, at the time, one of the things that they would do for nutrition on the course was trychnine which is a small dose of rat poison and they thought that that was beneficial so they were literally giving out rat poison to people running a marathon water bad strychnine good (laughs) yeah is it strychnine Strychnine. yeah wow and so this dude and oh and he would take like shots of brandy for like energy while he was running or they all would and he wow. made it basically into the stadium and couldn't like move his feet anymore so they like picked him up and his little it was like poisonous. it was like a bulldog when you pick him up out of water and you still see him like doing the leg thing yeah. that's what he was doing oh, man. and then he found out hours later that he actually won even cool. though he didn't because he didn't finish the race yeah um, but he's still known as the winner to this day wow. is the 1904 olympics were that is wild. freaking wild and the only like Four countries participated, so yeah. we won a ton of medals, and it was great. Little chess candy, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, little chess candy. So, Russ, vice uh, president. Russ. Wow, Blaine, you know Ooh, so much about the 1904 Olympics. I'm, I'm telling you, like, it is a fascinating yeah. thing to study. Yeah, they should do like a retro, like bring it back. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. like everybody another has to marathon, run the marathon. Nobody drinks yeah. <laughs> yeah. except for strict except nine. Strict nine and brandy. Yeah, dust. <laughs> Dress shoes, Just, penny loafers. Like people had like, well, like, I think a few people died running that marathon. Yeah, I feel like how many of them like got hit by a car? If the, if well, not only stop. that, but the cars are just throwing up dust, so yeah. they're just breathing dust, and yeah. their lungs are no, getting full you. of dust. Gosh. Yeah. Wow. Russ, tell us and the people who are listening now. Good luck oh. following that, Russ. Yeah, no, that was a little bit about TRSVP. 
Yeah. Charles W. Fairbanks of Indiana. Yeah. yeah. Fairba- I've run at Fairbanks Park quite a few times. Yeah, Terre I didn't Hope. realize there was a park. Yeah, it's in Terre Haute. His house is downtown. It's now a life insurance company or something. Okay. Yeah. So he was born in Ohio, and then after law school, he moved to Indiana. Okay. So then I guess he's a Hoosier transplant. at that point. A yeah. transplant, yeah. yeah. They called him Buttermilk Charlie. <laughs> That's a great He just loves that buttermilk. <laughs> you know what? Every time he drinks the buttermilk, it gets on his mustache. What should we call him? He had an enormous mustache. I know it does. <laughs> I'm looking at the picture on yeah, Wikipedia. Yeah. Yeah. So he was called Buttermilk Charlie because of the temperance movement. So he didn't, uh, he didn't drink, and he was quoted as saying, I would rather have a cold glass of buttermilk huh. versus alcohol anytime. Oh, Cool, Charles. Cool. Yeah. Cool buttermilk. (laughs) Yeah, he was super cool. There was an incident, though. When he was living in Indianapolis, he had a some type of social function. Okay. And Teddy Roosevelt came in to visit and attend this political function. Okay. And they had, I think it was like 40 political people or politically adjacent people. Okay. And right before the meal was to be served, they realized they had they didn't have any cocktails. They forgot to get the drinks together. Yeah, they forgot to hire a bartender. Uh, apparently, yeah, <laughs> or to ship them in or whatever yeah. they do. So they called up the establishment called the Columbia House downtown. Uh, yeah, on the, the Columbia circle. is yeah. same one. Okay, not the yeah. Columbia House where you buy like twelve CDs and get. <laughs> For a penny. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, no, the one. Columbia Club. Yeah, now Columbia, that's right on the still circle, there. Yeah, northeast side of the circle downtown. Did I say Columbia Club or Columbia House? You said Columbia House. Oh no, you Columbia said Club. Club. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Columbia Regardless, Club. we know what you're yeah. talking about. And it was cassette tapes. Did they do CDs? And it's still oh, yeah. the Columbia Club is still there. Still there. Yeah, northeast still side of Monument yeah. Circle. Yeah, mm-hmm. right yeah. Now. it's so, really cool. So they called them up last minute, and they quickly put together forty Manhattans, and they, I don't know, put them on a Train. car. I don't know. It's not that far. It was they. They moved it, you know, two miles to this house, and then Teddy Roosevelt was served a cocktail out on the lawn and just knocked it back in front of the press. Whew. And when the kind of the Methodist Church constituents, who you know Charles Fairbanks was definitely their horse spokesperson, yeah, yeah their spokesperson yeah. realized that this was happening, they tried to run him out on a rail. Really, no. I mean, not literally. Tried to run. Theodore Roosevelt out on a rail? No, 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 no. Charles Fairbanks. Fair, Charles Fairbanks. Yeah. They knew what to expect from Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. But Charles like, Fairbanks whatever. was, you know, was their guy in there. Mm-hmm. He ended up being called Cocktail Charlie after that. Uh-huh. Fairly undeserved, but yeah. Yeah. Somebody else of, drank. Yeah. <laughs> We're blaming you. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what it was. And I mean, Teddy even uh, spoke Theodore. directly to the Methodist church. Um, look, Methodists. really said you Methodists out in Indiana are a great lot I drank a cocktail out at Vice President Fairbanks home whereupon all the members of your church landed on that gentleman and almost rode him out of the organization Hmm. that treatment was so uncalled for that if it were not altogether ludicrous and preposterous I would say it was simply outrageous. Wow, those are fighting words back there. It's a lot of words. But if you're a boxer, he's like, like I'm yeah. going to mail in for more pistols, and we're <laughs> yeah. going to have a. Where Teddy Roosevelt, people wanted to watch him speak. They were very drawn to him. Yeah. That's the guy you wanted to hang out with. Charles Fairbanks was more of the the, the... money man of the Republican Party, okay. kind of the the guy behind the scenes, and he was the terrible. Yang. The Yang. 
to Teddy's yin. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. I mean, Teddy didn't like him, but he was kind of the the necessary evil on the other side. Okay. But he was so bad with people and interpersonal relations. They called him <clears throat> the icicle. Gosh, mm. he's got great nicknames. He, he yeah. does. He kind of works through nicknames, yeah. actually. Cocktail Charlie, Cocktail the icicle. Charlie. Yeah. Um, buttermilk Charlie. Buttermilk Charlie. <laughs> so, <laughs> I do like me some buttermilk Ooh. still to this day. Sour buttermilk. <laughs> fly in the buttermilk. Fly the the other senator was Albert Beveridge. Was oh, the other senator yeah. from Indiana, yeah. and he was the one that Teddy actually wanted the VP to go to. Okay, but the Republican Party said, "No, this is our guy. He's the yeah. money man. He's going to get stuff. We need done. a different drink guy." Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> sarsaparilla, Charlie. Sarsaparilla. <laughs> It's root beer, everybody. Sarsaparilla <laughs> is root beer. When Charles Fairbanks was elected vice president, they were really a yin and yang when yin and yang don't connect, okay. I guess. Okay. Teddy Roosevelt did not like him a bit. Disharmony. Disharmony. Got it. Disharmony, for boom, sure. Boom, boom, boom. So what Charles Fairbanks decided to do as head of the Senate was anything in like the progressive end of Teddy Roosevelt's agenda, which, yeah. was which is most, most of it. it. Yeah, yeah, it's most yeah. of it. He would use the Senate to kind of table it and make sure stuff wasn't passed oh, that he didn't, that was too progressive for him. Like that meat inspection bill that you were talking about, yeah. the jungle one. Part of that bill was not only would there be inspections of the meat factories, <laughs> yes, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the meat companies would have to pay for the inspectors. Oh. If you're going to inspect my meat, you got to pay for it. You got to pay for it. <laughs> so he tabled that shot it down so stuff like that he would find a way to if you want to inspect my meat you gotta muddle my mint first if you've been to Fairbanks Alaska it's named after him yeah because he was involved with a border dispute or a boundary dispute he was was serving under McKinley in the Senate yeah he was on the high commission for the US Canada border And there was a very powerful judge named Judge Wickersham, okay. who kind of during that time ruled over all of Alaska. And because Fairbanks was the favor maker, money yeah. guy in the Republican Party, there was a dispute that would have cut into Wickersham's area of power. Got it. And Fairbanks made it so that didn't happen. So. Uh, Fairbanks, Alaska was a unknown mining town yeah. and they were looking for a name and Wickersham basically said, if you guys want to prosper at all, you're going to name this town after Charles Fairbanks. So hmm. he pushed him into it. Nice. Fairbanks never visited it. I think the first Fairbank yes. uh, visited Fairbanks, Alaska for the first time 20 years ago. Wow. Huh. So, yeah. That's they cool. were a little separated. Neat. Russ, thank you as always. Yes. You're welcome. As always. Yeah, 1906, Uh Brownsville, Texas. There were soldiers from an African-American unit that were accused of robbery and murder at a bar. No one could prove who did it, and the chances that it was actually one of the soldiers is relatively slim, and none of the soldiers would talk. They would, hey, who did this? You know, nobody was giving up any names. Yeah. And I, I believe it's because it probably wasn't one of them, and so they literally didn't have anything to say. So nobody could prove who did it. Yeah. And Roosevelt, without really even looking into it, kicked three entire companies of soldiers out of the army. How, how and, many would that have been, uh, give or take? The numbers then uh, were, it was over 160. Now it would Per be, company? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 overall. Oh, overall. 
Now it would be more than that because the company is about 120 now, but barred them from reenlistment. This included Medal of Honor recipients and folks that were like in the retirement process. So he booted them because they wouldn't talk? Yeah. He basically mass punishment to everybody, even though there wasn't even proof that anybody in the unit had committed the crimes and refused to look at appeals or anything like that. So over 160 soldiers who had served honorably very valiant were given dishonorable discharges from the military Mm. and lost all their benefits lost retirement lost all sorts of things so not everything's super awesome yeah right and it's important to at least address those things yeah Uh, and that's a huge black eye for him that part made me i was like man i really like him and that sucks like because if he would have just done a little bit of of researcher allowing appeals like probably would have been sure. able to get to the bottom of it but maybe not because it was the south in yeah. the post civil war era so it was easy to say that guy did it and i'm judge jury and executioner so yeah and the whole purpose of this podcast is not to look at you know sins and wrongdoings of any of these presidents and throw them under the bus. It's just to look at it historically mm-hmm. and to say, I mean, that's why we talk about their life, their legacy, and obviously some little known facts about it. But uh, yeah, it's not like we're going to just, you know, whitewash every single president here and, and yeah. not examine their their full stuff that they did. By 1908, Roosevelt had decided not to run again for president, and he urged his personal friend and ally, William Howard Taft, to run in his place. Taft was chosen and then won the presidency for the Republican Party. Now retired back home on Long Island, Roosevelt became unhappy with Taft, primarily because Taft wasn't following what Roosevelt considered progressive policies. And in 1912, Roosevelt put his name forward to become the Republican Party's nominee again. But the Taft machine had pressured Roosevelt's supporters to vote for Taft or lose their jobs. And the party men chose to stick with Taft, which really ticked off TR, who walked out of the convention and then formed his own party, the Progressive Party, in protest. In 1912, voters chose between Taft, Roosevelt, and Woodrow Wilson, the Democratic candidate. Roosevelt shared many of the progressive policies of Wilson, yet his core support came from ex-Republicans who defected from the party. So they basically split the vote. Yeah, Roosevelt really blew it for Taft to be able to win by basically saying, I'm going to inform my own yeah. thing, which, yeah, siphon votes off. And Woodrow Wilson just said, well, that was easy. Uh, which brings us to October 14th, 1912. So TR is about to give a campaign speech in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and he is shot by a saloon keeper named John Flaming Shrank. Coughing into his hand and seeing no blood, TR determined that the bullet had not entered his lung. So he insisted on delivering his scheduled hour-long speech with the bullet still in his body. Hour and a half. He spoke for an hour and a half. Gosh. He said, friends, this is how he started the speech. Friends, I shall ask you to be as quiet as possible. I don't know whether you fully understand that I have just been shot, but it takes more than that to kill a bull moose. I had my manuscript, and there is a bullet. There is where the bullet went through, and it probably saved me from going into my heart. The bullet is in me now, and now, friends, I want you to understand that I am ahead of the game anyway. No man has had a happier life than I have led. That's how he started it. So he kicked off the hour and a half. 
So obviously the place is just like, man, this guy is superhuman. And then he talked for an hour and a half. Yeah. And then he goes to the hospital where the x-rays <laughs> confirmed that, yeah, it would, it's basically in his rib where it, it stayed had, the rest of his life. It had gone through his manuscript and hit some sort of a piece of it metal. Was his, it was his coat, the 50-page manuscript, yeah. and then uh, his eyeglasses case was yeah, made of his steel. Eye yeah. So all that had saved TR, but it ended up going into his rib. That speech sounds a lot like, what's the movie that Will Ferrell's in? And he's like, I've been shot. I'm down here. Oh, Austin Powers, where he <laughs> yes. plays. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I think I'm bleeding. Mustafa? No. Yes. I yeah. That's the what that reminded me of. The wound has become gangrenous <laughs> and smells like almonds. Yes. He says, friends, I am thinking of the movement. He shot to kill. He shot the shot. The bullet went in here. I will show you. Now, friends, I'm not speaking for myself at all. He's like, let me get back to what I was going to say. Yeah. Well, do you uh, want to see the bullet wound? Yeah, go ahead. It's right here. <laughs> What's the last hour and a half long speech that you have sat through? Uh, what, TED Talk? Man, that's Literally a good Not even a TED Talk. No, they're like... I don't know. That's a good question. I'm trying to think like the last high school graduation or college graduation I went to. A lot but of even those aren't an hour But like and one half. person, like, full speech. They didn't have yeah. TV, man. Yeah. Yeah. There was I don't no know if I've ever sat through an hour and a half. It's a lot. But like there's Not been awake. a couple of like terrible speakers at like military balls where like oh. they either hit real well and you're like, all mm. right. Or they're super short and everyone stands up and is like, thank you. Yeah, thank you. We can go drink or, now. Yes. <laughs> or the majority of them are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They and they just on, never like on. they just like say all of the average things that you say about like people in the military and then they're like you think they're getting to the end and then they're like <laughs> and then there was the time when and you're like oh, oh my god. god. The catering alongside the room yeah. is just getting really they're nervous just, and start checking their watches. Yeah, they're like the music. holding <laughs> the salads next to you like waiting. Wrap it up, B. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, Taft ends up being defeated. He gets three and a half million votes compared to Roosevelt's 4.1 million. So together, Taft and Roosevelt earned a combined 50% of the popular vote to Wilson's 43%. The two former allies split the vote. And after the 1912 campaign, so this is crazy, TR then goes on just kind of a history tour, like a geography tour of the Amazon River in Brazil. Almost Um, died. Yeah, it began in 1913 and it was a disaster. So he comes back a year later. He's super sick, lethargic, and frail. And basically, he's no longer robust physically. And so without the energetic support of Roosevelt, the 1914 election results were totally disappointing for the Bull Moose Party, as many voters returned to the Republican Party, and the party soon dissolved shortly after in 1916. I have a theory. Mm. Modern politics, okay? I would not be surprised if ex-President Trump decided to come back, form his own party. Like, you know, the kind of thing about, like, history repeating itself. Mm -hmm. I don't know who that quote is. I want to become president again, but I don't want to be with that party so I'm going to create my own and siphon votes off of whoever mm-hmm. is running in that like I would not be shocked if that same play gets moved I'm not looking into a crystal ball but as I was reading this book I'm like I, I think you've said it too before like a patriot party or like a union party yeah. whatever it's called like that Ooh. wouldn't surprise me he would call it a Trump party yeah oh, I think yeah. he would brand it Trump yeah 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 yeah, yeah. So anyway, as I was reading that, I'm like, this sounds like it could happen again. Or he'd come up with like the most masculine thing on the planet. So the these are the black stallions, (laughs) like something like that. Alpha party. (laughs) Alphabet. The uh, trip that he was on in Brazil, he was going up a place called the River of Doubt. Mm. Multiple people died. One went insane. Wow. Killed a member of the party and then just went off into the jungle. Oh gosh, that's scary. (laughs) Yeah, that's really scary. He survived that. <laughs> he caught malaria and yep. he almost died. So yeah, that was 
he was, I mean, he was definitely a robust human. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the outbreak of World War One happens, and TR is now 58 years old and a former president, and he's eager to return to the front line. He was so mad that new, that Wilson was neutral. He was like, no, let's yeah. pick a side. No, let's, fight. Yeah, let's, let's fight. Let's go. Come man. on. I just got these pistols in the mail. Come on. Yeah. So he actually lobbies for now President Wilson to send him to France at the head of a 200,000-man expeditionary force. Around the country, supporters of the hero of San Juan Hill staged rallies of support, but TR would not get called to fight in the war that eventually claimed his son, Quentin, who was killed in action when his plane was shot down over France in 1918. So, yeah, I just thought that was pretty true to form for TR. Like, I didn't know that that happened, but as I read it, I'm like, yeah, it sounds like a Roosevelt move. Like, put me back in. He was considering running again in 1920, like right before Quentin died. He started considering running for president again. Yeah. Yeah. You just can't get out of the game. He there, loved being in the White House. Do you have the the man in the arena quote yeah. of, of TR? Uh, this was, if you're a Brene Brown fan, she based her book Daring Greatly off of this quote from TR from a book that he wrote, right? It is not the critic. No, it was a speech he gave. Oh, a speech. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither knew victory nor defeat. Ooh, the cold, cold timid souls. Soul. Made I famous just got by shot too, by the way. Made famous <laughs> by Miley Cyrus's forearm. Ah. Oh, uh, her entire forearm? She has a tattoo of that. That, that entire, entire speech, speech. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, like the inside of her forearm or the whole. Like, I think the, the forearm, by definition, is the inside. I'm like, let's take a break, and we'll come right <laughs> back talking about his death, legacy, and some little known facts. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you are in the market to refinance your mortgage and want an expert to walk you through that process, you need to schedule a call today with Austin Bowman at Caliber Home Loans. Austin's been a friend of mine for years and is one of Caliber's top performing loan consultants with over 14 years of experience and expertise. Austin's number one priority is honesty. He's going to listen to your unique needs and guide you through Caliber's superior processing, underwriting, and closing process. For a smooth, hassle-free process from application to closing on your new mortgage, email Austin Bowman today at austin.bowman, that's B-O-W-M-A-N, at caliberhomeloans.com. You can also find Austin's email in our show notes. Whatever you do, don't ask Austin about the time when he took me out for my first time golfing when we were six and we almost hit a goose with our cart. Guys, email austin.bowman at caliberhomeloans.com today. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you need custom-made t-shirts for your team or organization, look no further than our good friends here in Indy, The Art Press. The Art Press is a local, eco-friendly small business that's been around for years here in Indy, designing and printing all the super comfortable shirts you may have seen through their parent company's store, Vardigan. We've worked with them on our awesome new shirts that feature Thomas Jefferson writing a fire-breathing mastodon, and our experience couldn't have gone better. If you need help creating a design or you have your artwork ready, 
ready to print, Derek and the team at The Art Press can help you get your order set up online quickly and easily. Plus, they ship everywhere and offer excellent customer service. Get a quote on your order of shirts today at theartpress.com. That's theartpress.com. On the night of January 5th, 1919, Roosevelt suffered breathing problems, and after receiving treatment from his physician, he felt better and went to bed. But his last words were, quote, please put out that light, James, which was the name of his family's servant, James Amos. Between 4 and 4.15 the next morning, Roosevelt, at the young age of 60, died in his sleep at Sagamore Hill after a blood clot had detached from a vein and traveled to his lungs. He was buried in Young's Memorial Cemetery on a hillside overlooking Oyster Bay. His second wife, Edith, joined him there upon her death at age 87 in 1948. Let's talk a little bit about his legacy, shall we? Besides being a president, T.R. was a cowboy, historian, soldier, explorer, hunter, author, orator, environmentalist, and devoted family man. He did a lot in his life. A lot of words. A lot, yeah. His progressive platform encompassed nearly every progressive ideal later enshrined in the New Deal of his distant cousin FDR, the Fair Deal of Harry Truman, the New Frontier of JFK, and the Great Society of LBJ. So really, TR set up a lot of those progressive mm-hmm. platforms for future presidents really into the modern era. He really introduced charisma into the political equation. Like, the country was really enamored by this man. Just, like, as a charismatic politician, they were just drawn to him, as well as the press. You had mentioned he installed a tennis court while he was president and, like, would just invite the press to, you know, be there with him during his day. He had a tennis cabinet. Which is pretty cool, because didn't Andrew Jackson have a kitchen cabinet? I believe he was the one that created like crazy. Kind of the informal group of advisors and counselors, and Mm -hmm. TR was like, this is my tennis crew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to get stuff done. He really had a strong rapport with the public, and he understood how to use the media to shape public opinion. He was the first president whose election was based more on the individual than the political party. When people voted Republican in 1904, they were generally casting their vote for Teddy Roosevelt, the man instead of for him as the standard bearer of the Republican Party. The most popular president up to his time, T.R. used his enthusiasm to win votes, shape issues, and mold public opinion. In the process, he changed the executive office forever. According to the C-SPAN's Presidential Historian Survey that we always talk about on every episode, Teddy Roosevelt currently sits at number four below his distant cousin, FDR, and above Dwight David Eisenhower. Hmm. All right, let's all finish this sentence. Theodore Roosevelt is the, is the reason the United States of America... Dot, dot, dot. Ginny, what do you think? Oh, boy. Uh, we care more about the land that we're on, that we're on, that we inhabit, yeah. that we nurture. Yeah, that's good, Russ. Teddy bears. Ah, there you go. That's, the, that's why we have them. I was going to say national parks, but also the reason that football is what we know it today. Okay, uh, which we'll talk about this a little bit. About. Okay, yeah. so when Theodore was at Harvard, he was a big fan of football. His son played football at Harvard as well. He attended the Army-Navy game in 1905. And at the time, a touchdown was worth five points, and a field goal was also worth five points. Mm. And, (laughs) yeah, and, like, it was a punting game. Actually, in that Army-Navy game, like, the very first play of the game was a punt. Hmm. Because the idea was taking land. Right. Okay. So you wanted to put them in a bad position and they were just going to run into a pile. And got it. he got really frustrated in the first half and came down to Navy's bench and started talking up the 
players on the team. They ended up tying the game. And then at halftime, he walked across the field to the Army side huh. because he wanted to be seen as nonpartisan. Yeah. And Army ended up rallying around him and winning the game. The tradition has continued to this day. That when the president yeah. goes to the Army-Navy game, he sits on one side for one half and the other side for the other half. Cool. Theodore Roosevelt started that. He did not like propose the ideas but he facilitated the discussion for both the creation of the NCAA okay and the forward pass so multiple people died playing football yeah um they used to do this thing called the winged v i believe is what it was called and it was just this super violent thing and it was literally like running into a pile of carnage like the movie leatherhead starring george clooney and john krasinski Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> just so like it they were talking about banning football because it was such a deadly sport. Yeah, and he didn't want to ban football; he wanted to figure out a way to keep it going. And so he facilitated these. He actually allowed a lot of the discussions to happen in the White House. Yeah, to propose new rules to make the game safer. Hmm. And the forward pass is one of the things that we have to thank for yeah. that. So if cool. you're a big like. Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers person like that's Teddy Roosevelt's yeah. doing that's cool I was just thinking about just the impact on the world uh, not just the country but with the canal you know mm-hmm. saves a lot of time yeah. not having to go around well Cape, I don't know uh, Cape Horn they were gonna have a canal no matter what he's just the reason it's in Panama yeah I think to your point too Jenny of just the the conservation mm-hmm. taking care of the land making that a calling a passion a thing to be careful you know if you've ever tossed anything in a recycling bin in a way you've got tr to thank i think too like that just that ethos of like the rugged american west mm. you know thinking of like how much he loved that country i've been to the badlands out there it's unreal like it feels like you're on mars just the badlands the- marathon is one of the ones i want to do Ooh, yeah that sounds fun yeah I've heard that from everyone who's been there, though. Like, anyone who's been to the Badlands was like, oh, you got to go. It's like yeah. this out, like, it's this insane experience. It, it's like the the world just ends and drops off, and then the terrain immediately changes. Mm-hmm. And you're like, where are we? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But I just think what he did to actually, I mean, he could have had that experience and kept it to himself, but he just wrote so much about it mm-hmm. that... I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how TR influenced maybe the Western movie genre and just like that fascination with the American West, you know. And I think that was interesting, too, to look at like why he went out there or when he went out there. It was right after losing. It was in a moment of severe loss and grief Mm -hmm. where he's like, I'm going to go out West. I don't know if it was to find himself, but he definitely, I mean, as a businessman, he made a ton in ranching. Mm -hmm. But, you know. Hunting. Yeah. When you're out there, there's a ton of open space to get pensive mm-hmm. and think and, and turn inward. I don't think that we're going to talk about another president that had a lot to do with conservation until Hoover. Oddly enough, Hoover. Yeah. Because he was friends with Ding Darling, the oh. actual person. Yeah, yeah I um, that place. Which we'll talk about in okay. that episode. Cool. But where we vacation, there's a Ding Darling nature preserve. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. And and Hoover was friends with that yeah. guy. So he was really, it's, it's you know, we're a few presidents away from somebody else really yeah. kind of taking that mantle. Let's go into little known facts, shall we? Okay. Let's do it. All right. So he boxed if at Harvard. If you steal any of mine. That's okay. You can, you can Ooh, just, yeah. Buddy. You wanna... We'll box at Harvard. Boxing. What up, you yeah. <laughs> Well, he boxed at Harvard and he continued to spar recreationally during his political career. And one time he got punched while he's president. He's boxing. <laughs> with a young artillery officer <laughs> who smashes his eyes so hard that his retina became detached oh, nearly left him word. blind in his left eye 
So TR obviously rests, kind of retires from boxing. He switches to jujitsu. Huh. Yeah, because duh. So like, that guy was so like dangerous. really hesitant to hit him because he was like a borderline professional boxer and he had been boxing his whole life. Yeah. And Theodore realized what was happening in the fight and he was like, come on, like, let's do this. Like, mm. hit me. And he did. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sir. Is yeah. that an order? <laughs> yeah. While he was president, he basically had a zoo at the White House. He had six dogs, five guinea pigs. A small bear named Jonathan wait, spent wait, his entire life trying to recreate bear? Swiss Family Robinson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like yeah. unrealistic, but I'm going to try. This is how you do it. Yeah. Get I don't a bear. know how you get a bear, but if no, you're like Teddy a Roosevelt. a small bear. A small bear, yeah, just a tiny It's like little. when people are like, oh, I just want a cat. Like, I just want to end the kitten mm, phase. Yeah, it was a pygmy bear. But it still gets grown <laughs> a baby from, to a cat. Got it from St. Louis. When okay. Was, yeah. yeah. All right. uh, there was a lizard named Bill. A pig named Maud, a badger named Josiah, but he didn't have an alligator in his bathtub. No, there were like two Quincy. presidents. Yeah, John Quincy. Yeah, uh, he had a raccoon, owl, rabbit, pony, rat, macaw, flying squirrel, a one-legged rooster, a hyena. Oh, um, wow. he had a zebra and a lion. And Alice had a snake named Emily. Yes, a little garter snake that she had. It was crazy. It was like just like why would you want a hyena though? Like, aren't they just savages? Yeah. Yeah. Like, but I mean, they're fun to have around, right? They're going to laugh at all your jokes. Mm, Yeah. True. Touche. We covered all the characters in the line. I know. That's what I, yeah. Like, is this where that story spawned from? He woke up every morning and he was like, (laughs) 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 (laughs)
No, but they just have three fingers. They don't have a thumb. They just have three. I had a, a intramural True. basketball coach when I didn't make the basketball team my sixth grade year mm. who had lost a finger in Vietnam. And we... Was he making a letter bomb for TR? In we all called or him like Teenage Mutant Ninja Terry. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Great nickname. Almost good as Buttermilk Fairbanks. My Uncle Max didn't have... Comrade. <laughs> he didn't have a thumb. And when we were growing up... Like no thumb whatsoever. He, he was born with one, but then oh, okay. it was removed by fate or whatever it was. So he okay. used to tell us that he was in World War II. Okay. And he used to tell us the reason he only had half a thumb is because he was in a foxhole. And his commanding officer told him to stick his thumb up the air to see which way the bullets were going. <laughs> oh, <laughs> And it was shot off. That's great. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. At least it was only his thumb. Like, which he way are they going? Stand up. <laughs> came from over there. Oh, man. T.R. and Franklin uh, Roosevelt were fifth cousins, but Franklin's wife, Eleanor, was more closely related to Teddy. She was his niece. He actually presented her at their wedding, FDR and, and Eleanor's, on March 17th, 1905. A lot of incest. Yeah. As president, <laughs> T.R. obviously got much of the attention and the press, which he relished in. If you are in Oklahoma, like my friend Jenny Minsberg, tip your hat to T.R. because Oklahoma entered the Union as the 46th state while he was in office in 1907. And I'm just going to go off on a tangent about the name Sooner. So you've heard about the Sooner State? Sooner Boomer Sooner. Boomer All right. Sooner. So in 1889, people poured into central Oklahoma to stake their claims to nearly 2 million acres that were opened up for settlement by the government. Those who entered the region before the land runs designated starting time, which was noon on April 22nd, 1889, were dubbed Sooners. So they oh. basically... Beat the gun. They're like, ah, we're getting in early. So they got there sooner. There it is. Got it. There it is. Wow. What a he, stupid reason for a name. He hated his official presidential portrait. Artist Theobald Chartron. There's Theobald. Oh, there it is. That's what I was thinking. Roosevelt claimed had made him look like a, quote, mewing cat. Even his children teased him about how much he looked like a cat, I guess. Uh, the artist had it uh, displayed in his home in France. Um, the painting then returned to the White House. That dude made you look like a pussy, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Roosevelt burned it as one of his final acts in office. Like, he freaking loved coffee. Uh, he oh, dude. Each, yeah. Each yes, cup he with did. seven lumps of sugar. He would drink oh. a gallon yeah. of coffee a day. Yeah. A I wonder gallon. what his like adrenals were. He died or... at sixty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was such a fan of coffee that Maxwell House once put his face on some of their print ads to move some more coffee. So Ooh, it was well smart. known that he was a, a coffee man. Oh, he was. Yeah. It was during his tenure as president that the White House became known as the White House. Previously, it had been known as the Executive Mansion. Similar to Thomas Jefferson, he was a voracious reader, and uh, he was said to have devoured a book a day, sometimes in different languages, which he knew many of. He Do you know why he why it was painted white? I don't. It was painted white because white covers up burn. Burn, yeah, anything. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So it's it's from the War of 1812. Wow. That's Madison. why the White House is white. The uh, tennis court that he built, he built it right outside of his office. And he did that for a reason, so that if any telegrams or any important messages came out while he was playing tennis with his tennis cabinet, his secretary would literally stick his head out the window and yell the telegrams out. Huh. When Taft came into office, yes. he tore the tennis court down, and to this date, the Oval Office now stands where the tennis court was. Cool. Yeah. Oh, 15, love. Yeah. 15, love. <laughs> sir, sir. Bully. When he would read magazines, after he read each page, he would rip it out and just toss it on the floor. 
It's kind of cool. It's just an odd habit. What? Just great. Yeah, just like, this bores me. <laughs> Read that one. Yeah. yeah. It's better than the bookmark, I guess. Uh, like, what he, page are you so on? So he like, just what, didn't even what, want to refer to that information the, later. He He's just, like, you know what? Need I, to. It's in there. Put it in the pile with my portrait. Uh, he once scared Dr. Seuss. <laughs> what? He once scared Dr. Seuss. Okay. Let me tell you how. As a boy, Theodore Geisel, or Geisel, I can't remember. G-E-I-S-E-L. Giselle. Geisel. Geisel. Like Tom Brady's wife. Just like Tom Brady's Mm -hmm. wife, Blaine. No. uh, Who became later known as Dr. Seuss. Young Theodore, as a boy, sold war bonds in the hometown of Springfield, Massachusetts. So as sales leaders in their Boy Scout troop, Geisel? Geisel? Geisel, how do you say it? Geisel. Geisel. And his fellow scouts were honored in 1918 by a visiting Roosevelt. Unfortunately, Roosevelt only had nine medals and there were ten boys. So (laughs) arriving in front of Geisel empty-handed, TR tries to make a joke out of it by saying, What's this boy doing here? (laughs) And Geisel was so scared that and so publicly shamed mm. that he later declared in life that the incident with TR instilled in him a fear of large crowds. So he was like I will not get so a medal with like a the... hat. I will not get a medal with a bat. I will not get a medal on the mat. <laughs> He's like the first person to like admit he had social anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Good Dr. Seuss, man. Yeah, TR freaking him out. There's an asteroid named after Teddy Roosevelt. Uh it was named in 2005. It's asteroid 188693 Roosevelt. <laughs> He's not the first president yeah. to have an asteroid named after him either. We we covered that in a previous episode. This was great. I'm going to close out little known facts with this. Because no, you're not, because I've got more. Oh, okay. All right. Then then I'm going to do it, and then you do yours. Yeah. So while he's on safari, his and that was happening, I think he went over to Africa, which we didn't mention, but like I think that was when Taft was president. When yeah, he decided it was, not to it run was again. right after his first term. Yeah. He had a going away party with a wolf hunter. His going away party was wild. It was farewell dinner with politicians, a professional wolf hunter <laughs> whose name was Jack Abernathy. Like he was like, yeah, we That's need to get this dude in here. Name. That's a great um, wolf hunter yeah. name. But yeah. yeah, immediately afterwards went to Africa for 18 months. Yeah. He's like, I'm just going to go out there. Well, while he's out there on safari, his African escorts called him Buana Tumbo, or in their native language, Mr. Unusually Large Belly. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's awesome. Buana Tumbo. Yeah. Which he was probably like, oh man, they respect me. It's yeah. Like, they no, gave me man. a name. Yeah. Wayne, what you got, bro? Hated baseball. He thought it was like too sedentary. He thought that wasn't enough like athletic acumen. Like, yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, John Cruck was a baseball player. Like, <laughs> the baseball leagues, like, pulled out all the stops so they could try to get him to attend games to include a golden a solid gold ticket for washington senators games wow. to attend any game he wanted to and they kept yeah and he they they kept like reserved like presidential seat at the washington senators baseball stadium wow. that taft ended up going to quite a bit okay he also hated golf and Taft, as we'll talk about next episode, was a huge, uh, well, yeah, literally uh, yeah. a huge, very large and golfer. Wilson was a huge golfer too. Have you guys? We're all of the age uh-huh. that in elementary school. Do you remember the Presidential Physical Fitness Award? Oh yeah, the yeah, V sure. sit yes. and reach. I, I would, that yeah, was my yeah. Yeah. sit and reach. Yeah, the V yeah. sit and reach. Uh, and then you have to the vertical, right? Is that the vertical? Yeah, the vertical. Ups. Yeah. You have to run a mile. That was where run I kind of figured out who I was as a person. So, if you've ever, if if you're of our age yeah. and you. You did the presidential physical fitness yeah. test in elementary school. You have 
Theodore Roosevelt think. Because when he was president, New York City was trying to start something called the PSAL, the Public Schools Athletic League. And it had a button test, which was essentially roughly the same test as the Presidential Physical Fitness Award that I believe Reagan ended up putting as a national thing. But this was started, originated in New York City. And because they were so tied to Roosevelt because he was a New Yorker, they got him to officially endorse the test. And that's how they got children like active in New York City. I immediately went in my mind to Wayne's World where Garth goes, it reminds me of climbing the rope in gym class. (laughs) Where like, yeah, just everything TR did. And what's interesting is as a kid, he did it to build up his like, stamina because he was so sick and now every kid has to take gym so when he was out of office he did this thing called cooper's health farm and the regiment is absolutely ridiculous like he would like ride a stationary bike in a sauna and then they would like immediately throw him into like an ice bath and then immediately have him go run like six miles which is like a tuesday if you're a wrestler like it was like it was basically Mm. like early crossfit yeah and it culminated with him doing a race against a New York mayor and another couple of people. However, he didn't tell anyone else it was a race. So they showed up (laughs) and like the mayor thought that like he was doing like some fun press thing with the former president. And then it's this half mile loop around a pond. And as soon as like the gun goes off, Teddy takes off and the mayor ends up like quitting halfway through the race and loses his mayoral race because all of the stories were like this dude quit. Because he was running in dress shoes. He had no idea he was even in for a race and he ended up losing his... his... Strict nine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, man, that's great. And I have to correct myself earlier. The Army-Navy game was 1901. Uh, And then... One other little known fact. That's not a great one, so I I hate to end on it. But he saw boxing as the last great Anglo-Saxon venture. Okay. Uh, He saw boxing as a thing that separated the whites as a superior race. Interesting. And when um, Jack Johnson became the world heavyweight champion, which was the first African-American heavyweight champion in boxing, he never publicly dismissed him. But he really encouraged this guy named Jeffries, who was the previous title holder, to come out of retirement to fight Johnson. Well, imagine was white. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Jeffries was, uh, as we know him today, the great white hope. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. That was because people had convinced this dude to come out of retirement to fight Jack Johnson. Interesting. And when Jack Johnson beat him... In the fight, Teddy basically used it as a platform to rail against gambling on sports and prize fights because sports should be for, uh, you know, effort and and morality and not not gambling on prize fights. And he used this like racist twinge Mm. to be like, oh, actually, you can ignore that because it was just a prize fight. It wasn't a real fight. Mm. So, wow. Once again. Yeah, lots of lots of great things about the guy. Yeah. Some not so great. That was even one of them. littler known fact, a lesser known fact. Uh, that boxer then went on to write banana pancakes. <laughs> also, like big fan of surfing, right? Jack Johnson. Yeah, he's like yeah. a professional surfer. Yeah. Oh, I have a Jack Johnson song. It goes like this: "Is the Jack Johnson song? It goes like this: All my songs they sound the same." 
That's because they're all the same. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm Jack Johnson. Ride my bike, don't own a car. I go surf, then play guitar. I'm Jack Johnson. This is my favorite part. Right? Then I go doppity do and doppity do. All my friends live in Hawaii. I'm Jack Johnson. There you go. That was great. That, that was, was great. I didn't realize how much Jack Johnson sounds like Randy Newman. Oh, <laughs> uh, you guys, thanks for listening to the Presequential Podcast brought to you by the Greeks Pizzeria. It's our taste. Thanks also to our other sponsors, Austin Bowman with Caliber Home Loans and Chop Shop Barbershop, as well as the Indie Art Press, where you can get our Mastodon shirt. You can get that Mastodon shirt at ryansongs.com. Hey, our next episode on 27th President William Howard Taft will be released on Wednesday, January 5th, 2022. Don't forget to become a patron of the podcast for only 5 or 10 bucks a month uh, at patreon.com slash presequential. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Bye.